0: So welcome to the GUT Podcast, I'm Mary McLean, Senior Lecturer and Consultant in Gastroenterology at the University of Aberdeen, Scotland, UK, and current visiting Research Fellow at the National Cancer Institute in the USA. In my capacity as Education Editor, I'm hosting this podcast today. This month we are discussing the July Editor's Choice Manuscript, entitled AIEC Pathobion, Instigates Chronic Colitis in Susceptible Hosts by Altering Microbiota Composition. This is presented by Dr. Andrew Giewitz from Georgia State University in Atlanta, USA, along with collaborators from France and New York, USA. I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Andrew Giewitz here today. Welcome to the podcast. So inflammatory bowel disease is a complex multifactorial pathogenesis, including genetic and environmental influences. Your paper explores the role of a select bacterial strain, namely pathogenic adherent invasive E. coli, or AIEC, in this process. Can you start by describing what's known of the role of the gut microbiota in IBD, and in particular, colonization by E. coli in this context?
1: Sure, I'd be happy to, and thanks for the opportunity to talk about our work. So, numerous studies have associated alterations in gut microbiota composition with inflammatory bowel disease, and these associations include broad differences in the overall patterns of bacteria involving many different strains, uh, including some that are quite difficult to culture, but also includes uh, the association of um, select E. coli strains with inflammatory bowel disease. And particularly AAC, which refers to adherent invasive E. coli, uh, originally characterized by Arlette Defoamacho and colleagues a number of years ago, that these strains are, are frequently um, can be cultured out of biopsies from persons with IBD. But what's largely unknown about the overall changes in microbiota composition. Uh, as well as changes in uh, the presence of these E. coli are their role in disease, um, especially the extent to which uh, these uh, bacterial associations are a cause and or a consequence of inflammatory bowel disease.
0: So preclinical mouse models of IBD that exhibit innate immune deficiency can lead to chronic intestinal colitis. In particular, your previous studies identified AIEC is a potential initiator of IBD in the context of toll-like receptor 5 deficiency. Tell us more about this.
1: I think the broad conclusion that can be reached from many mass models of IBD is that chronic inflammation, it can result from either uh, a deficiency of the innate immune system or excess activation of the innate or adaptive immune system. So, in other words, if you perturb immunity with too much immunity or too little in a mouse model, you can end up with chronic colitis. But what actually happens in human IBD um, has been much less clear. But the characterization of genetic susceptibility alleles argues that uh, an innate immune deficiency uh, is a, a relatively common cause of inflammatory bowel disease. And I would particularly refer to mutations in NOD2 where this gene that functions in bacterial recognition is uh, deficient. Many people will develop chronic colitis. So in this sense, um, TLR5 knockout mice can be viewed as modeling this concept. Um, So specifically, when mice lack the ability to recognize bacterial flagellin through this receptor, they're prone to developing colitis. However, like most humans who would have deficiency in NOD2, many mice that lack TLR5 don't develop colitis. It's only some of the mice develop it and some do not. So the model can be viewed as an innate immune deficiency that predisposes to colitis but whether chronic inflammation is actually realized will depend upon environmental conditions, including the presence or absence of select bacteria like AEC.
0: So leading on from these previous studies, what was the hypothesis and aim of the current study?
1: Okay, so the key central finding from our previous work was that the transient presence of E. coli during the post-weaning period a period that could be viewed as somewhat analogous to mouse childhood correlated with colitis. In other words, when we examined the TLR5 knockout mice and just looked for associations of different bacteria at different times, we observed that mice that had high numbers of E. coli strains that were very similar to E.ac in the post-weaning period had a high tendency to develop chronic colitis. Whereas knockout mice that lacked such E. coli did, did not. So in this work, we modeled that process by deliberately colonizing mice with AEC at a select time during their development and asked if indeed it would colonize transiently but yet induce chronic colitis, and if so, how? And in particular, we examined the possibility that a transient AAC colonization might permanently alter the microbiota and thus functioning like an instigator. Uh, It would be analogous to an arsonist who starts a fire but then is long gone by the time um, firefighters or investigators would show up.
0: So can you give us a brief overview of the methodologies you employed to assess this?
1: Mm -hmm. So what we did is we took germ-free mice, um, both wild-type mice, and TLR5 knockout mice. And we know that under germ-free conditions, um, these mice would not develop colitis. The development of colitis in these mice is absolutely dependent upon the presence of a microbiota. And what we did is we conventionalized these mice, gave them a, a normal microbiota, so all the mice got the same microbiota, except some mice got AAC and some mice did not. And we gave the AAC Um, shortly after weaning, uh, effectively to mimic the correlations that we had observed previous on these mice. And then we looked for clinical signs of colitis, uh, which was further assayed upon necropsy. The microbiota was assayed primarily by parallel sequencing, which gives a, a broad look at microbiota composition. And lastly, we developed a novel assay to functionally measure the ability of microbiota samples to activate innate immunity, which we refer to as a microbiota's inherent pro-inflammatory potential.
0: So moving on now to the results, let's take take each section in turn. Firstly, you identified that transient colonization of TLR5 knockout mice with adherent invasive E. coli led to chronic intestinal inflammation. So tell us more about this.
1: Basically, this did confirm the hypothesis that indeed, AAC colonization, although only transient, could trigger chronic colitis uh, in mice with this particular innate immune deficiency. Specifically, uh, TLR5 knockout mice that were administered AAC in the post-weaning period, um, they developed a lasting chronic colitis. Even though the AAC was cleared within um, a couple of weeks, it was completely cleared the mice still developed this chronic colitis, and they had permanent changes um, in their immune system and um, their gut bacteria populations other than AAC.
0: What was the mechanism associated with this outcome?
1: So the primary mechanism was that even though the AAC colonization was only transient, it induced changes in the microbiota that were lasting. And particularly, we think this is because the AEC was present in the post-weaning period, which is a time when the microbiota is developing and it's unstable, and therefore it's very prone to, um, to being perturbed and resulting in, in a lasting change. So while the AEC was gone within a couple of weeks, by sequencing we could see dramatic changes in the microbiota that persisted for the, the lifetime of the mouse. And we know in a broad sense that these changes were functionally significant because we could do microbiota transplants. And if we took these altered microbiotas from the mice that had AAC, even though the AAC was gone, and we transferred them to other mice, we could drive colitis in those recipient mice. And in thinking about how the altered composition resulted in colitis, Uh, we considered the possibility that maybe there's an inherent change in the pro-inflammatory potential of these bacteria. In other words, perhaps they would have more LPS or flagellin or have types of LPS and flagellin that were particularly pro-inflammatory. And indeed, this turned out to be the case, that the altered microbiota, when applied to cells engineered to read out levels of LPS and flagellin, we did find that the altered microbiotas from the mice that had been given aac in the post-weaning period had a, an inherently greater pro-inflammatory potential, thus providing a potential mechanism for how these microbiota changes could promote colitis.
0: So a component of your study assessed time course of adherent invasive E. coli colonization elevated LPS flagellin, and, and microbiota composition shift. Tell us about the interplay between these factors in the course of disease and the main conclusions from this data.
1: Yeah, so uh, indeed, they did seem to correlate in a, a temporal sense. So in other words, the um, as the microbiota composition changed over time, um this was also reflected in its pro-inflammatory potential. So what this tells us is that these are likely intertwined, and it's going to be very tricky to completely separate out one from the other in deciphering a cause-effect relationship. So at this time, it's hard to really say if the... um, altered flagellin LPS is a a result of the composition, altered composition, or is in fact causing inflammation that helps drive the composition that then further results in more LPS and flagellin. So, deciphering out those possibilities is going to be an important mechanistic challenge for our, our future work.
0: So how may these findings translate into expanding the knowledge of human IBD pathogenesis, and how may these findings impact clinical practice in the future?
1: Okay, so it suggests the possibility that key changes in the microbiota that trigger or instigate colitis in susceptible hosts may have occurred long before clinical disease manifests. So for example, if you were thinking about some of the twin studies where you might compare two people who are um, lacking a functional NOD2 gene, and they could be identical twins, and one would develop inflammatory bowel disease and one would not. If you were to examine their microbiotas uh, at the time one developed disease and the other did not, that really may have missed the key instigating events. And it suggests that from future studies will need to examine microbiota at very early times in life and examine it throughout life um, until disease does or does not manifest. Another uh, key conclusion from the study is that it provides a reason by which an altered microbiota might drive inflammation in active disease. And indeed, this reason is a relatively simple one. It's simply that the altered microbiota may have its physical components, things like LPS and flagellin, but also other components um, such as peptidoglycan, that when the microbiota is altered, uh, that these components simply have a greater potential to activate uh, receptors in the host that mediate innate immunity, thus providing... A mechanism by which an altered microbiota can actually promote inflammation.
0: So finally, what do you feel needs to be addressed in future studies?
1: So I think in human studies, it's going to be very important to examine microbiota from a very early age and throughout development, throughout development of the microbiota and the immune system, which tend to mature simultaneously in childhood and i think it will be important to do these prospectively and follow people who develop ibd or do not and it will be some of this type of work is starting to be done in cohorts of finished twins for example but it's mostly focusing on sequencing of the microbiota and looking at composition so it will be important to continue these studies but also incorporate functional studies on these microbiota samples, such as measuring their pro-inflammatory potential use, using the types of approach, approaches that we used in our recent study.
0: Well, that brings us to the end of today's podcast. I'd like to thank Dr. Andrew Hewitt for joining me today. Thank you very much.
1: All right. Thank you. Pleasure to be here.